Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass. Patrick Tui, good to talk to you again. It's good to speak with you again. We don't, we, it doesn't happen enough. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about something that you talk about a lot. We talk about a lot generally at the Show Me Institute. We have two big cities in the state of Missouri. They should be our flagships. They should be what brings people. They should be our Denvers, our Austins, our Portlands. Instead, they are our Kansas City and our St. Louis. And they're not exactly big attractions because um, I, I'm not convinced that we are pursuing the right things. As a resident of the city of St. Louis, I feel like we're pursuing fun things. We were building an aquarium, a Ferris wheel, we've got an MLS team, and the basic services in the city are, are just tragically not being met. It's really frustrating because people who live in the city, uh, Kansas City and St. Louis, are paying high taxes and fees for services. And yet the city is always talking not about the people who already live here, not about their existing constituency or existing customers, but how can we attract other people? And so they don't try to attract other people by taking care of the ones that are already here. They, they want big projects, right? A, a, a subpar pundit in Kansas City said, uh, when asked about what he wanted to hear from the mayoral candidates in Kansas City, wanted uh, big ticket items, something bold, bold vision. But we don't need bold vision in Kansas City. And I'm confident you don't need bold vision in St. Louis. What you need is someone to cut the grass and fix the streets and make sure that the basic services, that which is the safe. role of government... That is right. safe. I mean, literally, our children are dying here. At least 12 children have been killed in gun violence since April 1st. That's on the national news. That is not a statistic that's going to have uh, that's going to bring people to the city. When you read that, you want to turn and go the opposite direction. I don't care yeah, well, what that's... big ticket item we have. If 12 children are killed in gun violence in a few months, yes. no families are going to want to move here. So Kansas City has invested in a convention hotel. Uh, like we have for 50 years, we want to bring tourists here, conventioneers here. And my big fear is that if, because we haven't done our basics, right, we haven't provided for public safety, if a convention attendee is murdered, yeah, uh, all that investment, all that economic investment is wasted because, you know, we want to have our dessert and we, we haven't eaten our vegetables. And the chance of that happening is not low. No, and in, and in Kansas City, there's a story out uh, today in the Star about how our entertainment district, the Power and Light District, has seen uh, a sharp increase uh, in shootings uh, just over the past few weeks. And again, it's really frustrating because I understand the incentives, right? Uh, politicians want to build big monoliths they can point to and say, look what I did. Mm -hmm. But but they are doing that at the at the. Uh, a cost of, again, water, streets, uh, public safety, yep. education. And that's what Power and Light was, right? Big tax credit funded oh, project. Oh, absolutely. Didn't necessarily even bring new bars or restaurants or shops. Well, so this is what I talk to people about frequently is they go downtown and they say, hey, Patrick, years ago, 15 years ago, this area was all warehouses and, and uh, empty parking lots, and now we've got vibrant businesses, and that is true. But that doesn't mean that the city has created anything new. What they have done, what the research shows, is that the number of jobs, the number of restaurants in 
in the whole city has been flat for the past 15 years. Just move them around. But, but there are more in this downtown area. So they didn't create anything. They just moved it around. Yeah, and I'm um, being really grumpy about this because right now I have a very dead oak tree in front of my house that the city of St. Louis has concurred is dead and needs to be removed. And that's been that way for three or four months. I'm convinced it's going to fall my house. And our garbage doesn't get picked up. And it's, you know, why, what, I'm kind of staying in spite of these factors. You know, when, when you throw safety in, I, there's not enough aquariums out there to get me to move to a city where I don't feel safe. And again, I'm staying here just in spite of it. A former member of the city council of Kansas City told me about a decade ago, and I think this is true of Kansas City and St. Louis, when I asked him kind of what's going on, why is the city so messed up? He said, you know, there's no constituency for good government because the people who already care about efficient government and good schools and and uh, getting uh, government out of the way of their businesses have already left. Mm-hmm. And in Kansas City, they've moved out to the suburbs, but those suburbs are in the state of Kansas. Right. So we've lost more than uh, just people out of the city. We've lost them out of the state. And I know St. Louis is the same way. People have moved out of the city. And so the city has now got a double uh, uh, or, or twice as much of a problem, which is a lack of in- infrastructure, and they've chased away the tax base that would yeah. fund it. Yeah, and so we're holding out hope that some really um, uh, upstanding ethical politicians will come along and they'll right the ship, or what do you think is going to happen? Well, that's a great question. You know, I don't envy anybody who's trying to figure this out because the way that for example, researchers at the Chauvin Institute advocate is it's not easy. It's not as simple as you just need to build the right mix of, you know, excitement, Ferris wheels. Yeah. You actually have to buckle down, stop giving away incentives, uh, make your government more efficient, deliver services. And that's not easy. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly isn't easy when your city has spent the past 15 or 20 years hollowing out its tax base exactly to build those kind of monoliths to, uh, you know, uh, fun and excitement, even though the core of your city is rotting. So the Ferris wheel they built with the idea that uh, I guess people who live here would ride it more than once and then people would come from other places to ride it to see the St. Louis skyline, which is to me like a colossal waste of money. I don't see that happening. Um, at the same time when we're having a a really bad summer crime-wise. And MLS is good. I mean, that's fun, soccer. But if we had all of the uh, the rest of our ducks in a row, maybe. you uh, Kansas City has a soccer team, right? That's right. We have a soccer team. They practice in Missouri, but they play in Kansas. Ah, And that was because there was a a border war of incentives. Uh, But again, we hear... National stories that Kansas City is growing, that it's doing really well, mm-hmm. and that's the metropolitan area. Okay. Uh, it's 14 counties that are included. The, the Kansas City part of it, with the downtown, I, I fear is not part of that growth. Now, statisticians, demographers have yet to suss out the various parts within the metropolitan area, but again, Overland Park in Kansas is doing well. Olathe is doing well. They are attracting young families. Uh, and that's because they are offering those people the things that they want, backyards, good schools, uh, a, a safe uh, a safe neighborhood. And it again, I, I don't pretend that this is easy, that, that getting a city right is easy, but we know what getting it wrong is. And I don't know if it's a matter of just waiting for that ethical, 
you know, benign politician to come along, or if it's a matter of changing the incentives. Right now, the incentive for a politician and the, the legislature and the legislative language goes along with this is to build new and shiny things mm-hmm. um, and, and not pay attention to uh, the serious issues affecting the city. It's really very frustrating. And, uh, and, and I fear that even if we do get somebody uh, along who says, you know, we're going to have to uh, tighten our belts and, and buckle down for a few years, that, um, you know, they invite an awful lot of, um, of resistance because they're not uh, constantly building, again, shiny baubles. You know, one thing that we've talked about, too, um, in St. Louis and in Kansas City is the high taxes that we pay and not necessarily like a single high tax. Where you can say, look, that the, t- the property tax- taxes are very expensive, like Illinois or or you know, the state income tax is very high. That's not necessarily the case. What is the case is that we've got multiple layers of taxing. So when I go to Target in St. Louis, depending on which Target I go to, I'm going to be paying two or three layers of sales tax. So it's going to be something like 11.3 or 9.7. I haven't figured out what it is at the various places. But it does put the um, onus on the consumer to find out what the tax rate is at this Target versus the Target three miles away. And that's uh, one way that they get us, property taxes for sure. And then I have to mention the earnings tax. The earnings tax is only applied to people who live or work within the city boundaries and that creates an incentive to just move outside the boundaries which is absolutely what happens here in st louis and it happens here in kansas city and it seems to be kind of a frustrating answer which is rather than kansas city and st louis trying to um, promote their competitive advantages trying to attract people trying to get people to be excited to live in the in the the core city what they've done is they've taxed the exits they say, oh, you, you want to move out of the city because it's so poorly run? We're going to reach beyond our political boundaries and tax you in the neighborhoods. Again, it's not a winning strategy. It's not a growth strategy. It's sort of like a, a panic uh, at, <laughs> at populations moving out strategy. You know, um, uh, Enrico Moretti wrote a book a few years ago about uh, growth cities uh, and, uh, you know, innovation hubs. And he looked at, you know, Redmond, Washington and Seattle and all these other places that have seen incredible growth and, and analyzed what it was about them. And one of the things he concluded was that it, n- none of them could be explained by government policy. Mm-hmm. No city council, no board of aldermen, no county commission said, hey, here's the next big thing. Let's invest in mm-hmm. it. Let's subsidize it. It just happened to be that that's where Bill Gates lived. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be that that's where Jeff Bezos lived. And, and yet cities don't learn that lesson, which mm-hmm. is you cannot anticipate the next big thing. So stop trying to subsidize what you think is the next big thing. Just treat everybody equally, keep government efficient Mm -hmm. and cheap, and the next big thing, maybe Mm -hmm. or maybe not, will come to you. But this swinging for the fences and hoping that somehow Kansas City and St. Louis are going to figure it out just hasn't borne out. And some economists would say also the temperature in January has an impact. And we have no control over that. So we better work with what we got. No one would move here for the temperature in January or in July, for that matter. <laughs> I don't think. No, that... And when you factor in the humidity, I, I don't think so. We're at the confluence of three rivers. But no, you the know. things that we do have going for us are relatively low uh, standards of living, or not standards of living, cost of living. And that is because housing prices are low. And and in Kansas City and in St. Louis's case, it's because we have not made the mistake that some places like Denver and Seattle have made by 
adopting, you know, really rigorous um, land development policies. Yep. We haven't done that here. Yep. It's relatively cheap to build houses. We've got a lot of housing stock. Kansas City is convincing itself that it has an affordable housing problem, um, but compared to other places around the country, we're doing all right. Yeah, that's and so right. I think it, I think in that case, the two cities can be complimented for not following suit on that. But in too many other places, uh, you know, we think that we can build our way, we can subsidize our way out of this. And and I was talking to somebody the other day and said, well, look at Baltimore. Baltimore has everything that urban planners tell you to do if you're a mayor. They have a baseball stadium. They have a streetcar. They have an aquarium, a downtown hotel. They have a big airport. They have an inner harbor. Uh, they have an entertainment district. Um, yet All on, nobody... the, on the water, I might add. That's I mean, right. They're on the water. And yet nobody would, having built all those things, nobody would look at Baltimore and say, that's where we want to be. But they've done everything they were supposed to do. They've done everything. They've incentivized everything that they were supposed to do. But they haven't taken care of education. They haven't taken care of public safety. And so the rest of it just doesn't matter. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going to sound like a broken record on this one. But until you fix education, families won't move or stay. And there are some cities who have done a much better job than St. Louis and Kansas City, like Indianapolis, like Nashville, like Newark and Camden, um, even Detroit, where they've really opened up uh, Milwaukee uh, options for parents. So rather than saying, you're, you're staying here until we get this fixed, and we've been trying since 1950 to get this fixed, they really do give them you know, a portfolio of options in Indianapolis, including pu- public and private schools. Here in St. Louis, not in the city, but in some of our lowest performing school districts like Normandy, even students who were allowed to transfer out due to, because of the low performance of the district are now being told they've got to pack their backpacks and go back. That's there, There's no more options. And they won't budge, even though in Kansas City, more than half of the public school students this year for the first time are going to a charter school. And I think another quarter are magnet schools. Kansas City parents, when they can choose, they do. But there is not uh, any appetite here for really expanding school choice. No, and that's a shame. When I first started with the Show Me Institute around 2012, James Schulz came out for School Choice Week. And uh, he was on a local TV station, said something then, which is probably old hat to you and, and other people who know education policy, but it was it was a big deal for me to hear. And he said, he was asked a question about school choice. And he said, listen, we already have school choice, especially in places like Kansas City, parents all the time, my neighbors, a number of my neighbors have done it, they pick up and they move. They move into Kansas uh, because of the schools. It happens every year. Now, they have the choice because they have the economic ability to sell a house and relocate. But the people who don't have, and so it's like, don't worry about the the middle or upper or wealthy. They're taking care of themselves, but we have we have kept that same opportunity of choice from poor families who, of course, we've set up the public school systems exactly to help them. And yet the one thing that would that would be the most help, we deny them. And it's it's tragic because we have school choice. At least the wealthy have school choice. Yeah. And so in places like the District of Columbia, because it is so choice rich with charter schools and they have a private school uh, scholarship program, uh, what has happened is uh, middle-income parents who would have packed up and moved, they stay. And that make, has a big impact on the neighborhoods and on the communities. I hate to, to you know break that news, but when you have a few 
middle-class parents who could have moved out when their kids were kindergarten age, when you have them stay, that has a positive impact community-wide, and we are not taking advantage of that. I have a neighbor. I'm inside the city. We just got the block email saying, we're so sorry, but, you know, our little kids are going to be going to kindergarten, and we love it here, but we just can't stay. And I understand that. But that's a loss of a community, right? That's Those are social capital ties that we're, we're giving away to the county. And the, 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 well, you're exactly right. And what we've done in Kansas City is we've tried to create some incentive for millennials. We keep trying to attract millennials to live downtown. And even in the few instances where it has worked, and I've spoken to a group of millennials and some of them came up after. <laughs> You've seen one? <laughs> and <laughs> came up afterwards and told me this was exactly their situation, which is they live downtown because they like the density, they like the walkability, but when they get married and have kids, they hightail it out to the suburbs because they want good schools. Sure. And so even if we're successful, and, and it is tough to attract people downtown, but even in the few times where we're successful, they don't stay long enough because we haven't done uh, we haven't paid attention to the real infrastructure, which is education. That's exactly right. And I know that the superintendent here, he's, you know, he's working, he's trying. I'm not saying there aren't a lot of people trying to improve the system, but what they're not doing is thinking of any solutions outside the system as it exists today. Um, again, Kansas City, more than half the kids are in charter schools, which is telling. More than half the, you know, that's telling. And if um, they continue to let those options become available, maybe families will stay. But that's the key is having families to me. And families don't come and stay for a Ferris wheel. No, no. And I don't know that they, uh, the decision to move and where to live is based on so many different things. Mm -hmm. And you can can look at one, you can look at the other. But even if you take three or four of them together, public safety, education, infrastructure, cost of living, uh, you know, St. Louis and Kansas City may do well on one or two of those, but on too many of them, we don't do well at all. And again, everybody who lives in Kansas City and probably everybody who lives in St. Louis proper can name somebody who's left because of the schools. Mm-hmm. And now people are talking about leaving because of Crime. public safety. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I am remiss to just complain without trying to offer up some solution. What's solution from you? On, on crime or education? The whole thing. How do we turn it around? How do we, how do we encourage uh, people here to, uh, again, think big, but think of real ways to improve, um, you know, paying police officers more? That's, these aren't real solutions. I'm looking for, like, real solutions. Well, I think an important thing, and, and you talk about sounding like a broken record, I feel this way as well, is we have got to stop trying to take a shortcut. We've got to stop trying to say, well, if we just build a hotel or an airport, things will fix themselves. Fix themselves. We collect an awful lot of tax revenue in Kansas City, and we can talk about special taxing districts. We can talk about just property tax. We can talk about the sales tax or the earnings tax. We connect, uh, collect an awful lot of taxes, but we don't respect the money we've collected. Right? So- we don't respect the power of taxation. We don't spend it properly. We divert it to developers to do things they probably were going to do anyway. We give the power of taxation off to hotels and businesses so that they can tax. And the first thing we've got to do is understand. And again, uh, uh, people who look at the Show Me Institute and say, well, you guys just hate all kinds of taxes. That's absolutely not true. Taxing is an important, necessary power. Respect it. Absolutely respect it. Make sure you know where the money is going. Make sure if you're not getting results, 
change your ways. But what we do in Kansas City and in St. Louis and probably all over the country is when a program doesn't work, we don't rethink the program. We just send more money to it. And yeah. uh, and it's it's demo again, it's demonstrably not working. We have decades of data in both cities that say this isn't working, but it takes uh, an awful lot of backbone to uh, change the ship because in addition of wasting money, we have created both uh, huge bureaucracies, both public and private, mm -hmm. who are dependent upon the status quo and they have every interest in protecting their own. You blew by this kind of fast, but you and I have talked about this before. Just five sentences on the hotel that imposed its own tax. So I don't think people really know or believe that this is true. So uh, what you can do in Missouri pretty easily, is, if you're a business or a shopping center, a group of businesses, is you can institute a community improvement district. You collect a, up to a 1% tax, and you can use it to fix the roads. You can use it to your parking lot, lighting, all that type of stuff. Um, however, if you get for yourself a blight designation, you can use that money privately on the inside of your store, things like that. So the Intercontinental Hotel, which uh, astrides, uh, you know, stands over the uh, Country Club Plaza, has a beautiful fountain, had itself blighted. And the reason it gave for blighting was stained carpeting, torn wallpapers, you know, uh, ugly sofa. And uh, <laughs> they got the designation. They charge a 1% tax. It's, again, it's a luxury hotel that's blighted. And they use that money for their own private ends. And being able to charge a 1% tax allows them to not have to raise their rates. hotel rates yeah, yeah, yeah. 1%. So the corporation that owns the Intercontinental Hotel could have just said, you know, it's time to rehab this this particular property. It's looking a little tired. But instead, the, the people who stay in the hotel are paying the cost of the renovation. That's right. And, and you and I travel a bit for work. We shop for hotels and you look at the price and you and I may be price conscious. You can go to hotels.com and you can... You can search the price, but often you cannot uh, search the tax. Sure. And so it's it's a way for them to charge more while still looking like they charge less. Yeah, and they less. just go, it's not it's not us, you guys. You know, it's a tax. They, uh, no one shrug. would know. Exactly. <laughs> no one would know that they imposed the tax themselves. You don't pay it across the street. You only pay it there because that's not evident. And I, I do think that there's a lot of that that goes on in St. Louis and Kansas City, this like secret taxing, like then the people imposing the tax are like, it's not us. Right. So. And, and it's because, you know, our you and I have definitions in our head when I say blight, when I say community improvement, uh, when when you and I might talk about what we think a tax is for. But the, the laws and the language coming out of the legislature are very, very different. Right. Blight does not necessarily mean that burned out house across the street. Uh, community doesn't necessarily mean the whole neighborhood. Uh, and a tax doesn't necessarily mean it's the government levying it. And so, again, we've created this incentive for people who have great development lawyers and mm -hmm. who know the system to make a great deal of money. And that is part of the problem because uh, mayors and councils come and go, but those guys stick around and they can be very persuasive when it comes time to run for reelection. Maybe somebody will come along that really focuses on the basics but i'm you know i don't see it now maybe we can do a follow-up podcast where everything's been fixed well I, I would love that you know walter johnson who's a professor of history and uh, african-american studies at harvard came out to kansas city uh maybe two years ago and uh, was talking about ferguson he had written an excellent piece in the atlantic i believe in 2015 about ferguson and he wanted to talk about tiff and he had a packed auditorium, 400 people. And um, 
he said in his remarks at the end when people were asking him questions, normally when I talk about incentives, when I talk about TIF, I, I'm greeted with crickets. But in Kansas City, people understood it and they knew it was a trade-off. And so I think we can look at the clamor in Kansas City and St. Louis for reform. People do understand. I think you mm -hmm. look at University City building the Costco. People understand that it's a trade-off. They understand that it is not clear that development is in their best interest. Mm -hmm. And we're not there yet, but I think I think we're talking about the right things more often. Yeah, and I could think we can depend on you to keep talking about them. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.